If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and uh, so glad that you're joining us, and so glad to have the Vegas here. Thankful for their ministry, and again, just want to encourage you, if you're at all interested in uh, being a part of that DR trip, go check out that meeting. You get free pizza today, right after the service, right over there, and uh, get to talk with them and find out more about that trip. The deadline to sign up for the DR trip is technically this Sunday, however, if you sign up on Monday, we'll still let you go, but we're, it's got a deadline. So please, hope that you're going to be a part of that trip. It should be awesome. Well, this morning we get to wrap up uh, the series we've been in since uh, basically the entire fall, the Birth of a Movement series and the first part of the book of Acts. And basically, uh, for those of you who are just joining us or just trying to uh, catch up or remember what we were talking about back in September, let me give you just a brief summary of what we've learned so far as we've seen in the first part of the book of Acts, the birth of the church and what God was doing through the church to begin reaching their immediate context, the city of Jerusalem. And so a couple of things just to point out as a way of just summary, kind of help us, you know, remember what we've been talking about is this. What we've learned is that the, the church has a mission. And if you will, this is the mission. The mission is gospel saturation. To fill the earth, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. To fill wherever they are with the knowledge of the gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that we would be reconciled to God and in a relationship with God. That's the mission of the church. The means for which to accomplish that mission is what? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's Spirit. And you see that throughout the book of Acts. The Spirit comes, fills the church with power. They go out with boldness to share the gospel. And work, God works powerfully through them. And then the strategy to get the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is geographic. It's a geographic strategy. All that you could be, is built out of Acts 1.8 when Jesus says to the disciples, hey, right here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Starting where you are, moving out from there, moving out from there to the ends of the earth. And what you see, if you now look back at what we've studied so far, is that that's playing out in the first part of the, the book of Acts. So that's kind of just, just you know, summary. This is what, guys, this is the mission of the church. And we hear that, we see that, and the question is, is are we, are, are we that? When we think about Midtown, are, are you a part of that? Are we a part of that? Where we're working together by the power of the Spirit to saturate our city with the gospel and then moving out from there all the way to the DR and even beyond to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's what it's about. Now, a couple other things that we've seen so far in the book of Acts is we've gotten these great pictures of like the character of the church. And kind of some defining characteristics of the church, if you will. And those would be here. So you think community, compassion, and courage. And so you think just, you know, I don't have time to walk through them, but Luke will pause. He'll give us this kind of overview of like what's happening in the life of the church. And you see at times this incredible description of community. The disciples are meeting together in the homes. They're meeting together in the temple. They're breaking bread together, looking out for each other. Just deep community characterizes the first church. In addition, this incredible compassion, right, where they're uh, meeting each other's needs, and they are healing and meeting the needs of the poor, the sick in their city. And then on top of that, this incredible courage, man, really strong focus of just, un, you know, even with the threat of persecution, even having been imprisoned, even with the chance of death, they continue to go out and tell people 
who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them so that people could be saved and the gospel will continue to move powerfully forward in the city of Jerusalem. Guys, so you read, you think about that. Like this is the characteristics of the church. And again, you evaluate, man, is that, is that what we're like, right? And by God's grace, I think in a lot of ways, we are. It's his, his doing. And then there's certainly in all of this areas for us to grow in. And he individually think about how, how can I be a part of helping Midtown Church continue to take steps forward to be in a place of rich community, getting connected with one another, being in each other's lives, showing compassion to one another and to our city, and being courageous with the gospel. That's where we've been so far. And it's just this beautiful picture of the, uh, of the church as it gets born uh, in the beginning of Acts. But one of the things that I really appreciate in addition to that, is that the author of Acts, uh, Luke, he, he doesn't just paint the church with this like just real airbrush picture where everything is just fine and perfect and, you know, butterflies and rainbows. Like, he is also clear to say that, hey, even from the very beginning, the church wasn't perfect, right? And so you get the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? And like their hypocrisy and trying to come off better than they are. And, and then the judgment that came as a result. And then you get the story of what we talked about briefly last week about how even though many of the church were really courageous in the threat of persecution, still meeting together publicly in the temples, even after they've been told, you can't talk about Jesus anymore, and they should still do that. We, Luke does give us a little throwaway statement that says, yeah, not all the Christians continue to do that. Some of them didn't join the rest because they were too afraid. and they were, they, Some of them lacked courage. And then in today's passage, Acts 6, 1 through 7, if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be. Pull that up on your phone. But Acts 6, 1 through 7, what you see is you, the description of the very first conflict within the church. And guys, I just tell you, I really, really appreciate that Luke includes these things, Right? I mean, for a couple of reasons. One of them is because uh, it speaks to the reliability of Scripture. Like I think about the gospel accounts and how in the gospel accounts, the disciples are not made to be just these perfect people that never make a mistake. No, in the gospels, we, if you've read them, you see that the disciples are often shown to be quite you know, complete idiots at times. And you're like, well, why would, that, why would they look, make themselves look bad? Well, only because that's really what they were like. It's a true historic, reliable account of what, the, what happened, not just something that made up to make them look good. Well, you see that in the Gospels. You see that carry forward in the book of Acts. It's like the birth of the church. The church is loved by God, and it's incredible, and yet at the same time, it's not perfect. And Luke doesn't try to airbrush the ugly, the warts, all that stuff out. He says, no, no, this is what it's like. And that, man, that makes me think it's so reliable. In addition, it also helps set my, and hopefully your, expectations that from the very beginning, the church has not been perfect, and so ours won't be either. Now, the church is loved by God. The church is the, the primary instrument in God's hands to advance the gospel, his purposes in the world. It's incredible. It's beautiful, but far from perfect. 
And so our expectation shouldn't be church should be perfect. Our expectation should be the church is filled with imperfect people who all have one thing in common. They recognize that we're so messed up, we need a Savior. We need God himself to die for us in order to reconcile us to God. And then having been moved by God's incredible love for us, we would say, now I want to love God and I want to love others. And I'm not going to do it perfect, but here we are. And we gather together, sing our praises to God and hear from his word. We go out in our city together to love each other and love and serve our city with God imperfectly, but either way, that's what we're trying to do. And you see that right from the beginning of the book of Luke. I just love that. And what's really interesting in this passage that we look at this morning is that Luke is saying, man, as the first church moved out with that purpose, God used them to accomplish much. Like the, in fact, what I want to show you, we're looking at Acts 6, 1 through 7. He bookends this, this uh, seven verses with two interesting statements, right? Acts, 1, uh, Acts 6, verse 1 says it this way. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So it's like, man, this is, the gospel is moving forward. More people are following Christ. More people are now walking with Jesus. Disciples are increasing. And then the bookend of that, verse 7, you'll see that he says this. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Kind of the, that's the Greek word for multiplied. Like it's the gospel is moving. It's increasing. Disciples are more and more people following Christ. Like you see, there's something awesome happening that God's doing through the church. And yet in between verse 1 and verse 7 is, as I alluded to earlier, the, the first the story, the very first conflict within the church. Like bad stuff happens. And you think, okay, well, what verse 1 says and verse 7 says, well, what happened in between there for that to continue to happen how does that fit together if what's in between there is a conflict, is the warts of the church, is the ugliness? Well, that's what we're going to get to look at this morning. So uh, let me read it for us. And what we're going to see is that the church runs into a very common problem, a very common problem, something that we can relate to. And then, by God's grace, the church comes up with or applies a very uncommon solution an uncommon solution, but it's a solution that's available to us as well. So I think we have some stuff that we can learn from this passage. Let me, uh, let me read it, and uh, we'll begin to unpack it. Acts 6, verse 1 through 7, it says this. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them uh, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Paramenus and Nicholas from Antioch. I just tried to read this really fast because I just butchered all that. And uh, a convert to Judaism. Verse 6. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
All right, did you follow that? Here's the, here's the common problem. The, the common problem is found in verses 1 and 2, and what you see is that as a result, or at least exasperated by the fact that the church was growing so rapidly, there became this conflict between two different groups within the church, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Now, the good thing that this means is that as the church was growing in Jerusalem, it was reaching different groups within Jerusalem. See, the Hellenistic Jews, just a little context here, they, they were Jews and by, you know, by faith and by nationality. However, they were uh, Greek-speaking they studied the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. They went to their Greek synagogues, and they were most likely uh, uh, foreigners to Jerusalem. Like they had they'd been born somewhere else and moved in Jerusalem. They made up the minority of the population in Jerusalem. Only about 20% of Jerusalem was believed to be Hellenistic Jews. So they're the minority. And then in addition to that, you had the Hebraic Jews, uh, Born in Jerusalem, spoke Aramaic, spoke the, you know, he, you know, studied the Hebrew scriptures. And they went to the Hebrew-speaking synagogues to study. And so you have this you know, kind of different culture brought out by two different languages. And you have this different you know, ethnic group, right? And then by God's grace, this is a good thing. The church as it spreads is reaching both groups. That's great. Coming together, united over the gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. However... You got this issue because as the church grows, there becomes this conflict where, as it says, some of the uh, Hellenistic Jews start recognizing, man, our widows are not getting equal treatment here in the daily distribution of food as the Hebraic Jews' widows are. And so, like, there's an issue. They start complaining. They start grumbling. And what do they do with that? Well, it seems like, based on the response in verse 2, is that part of the, either some of that complaining gets to the ears of the apostles, or perhaps they just went straight to the apostles and said, hey, you got to do something about this. Now, remember, the apostles, that's Jesus' 12 disciples, 11 disciples plus one. And, they, uh, and so they're saying, okay, y'all are the leaders. You're the guys in charge. Y'all got to do something about this. And I say that they came with that idea because look again at what, how the uh, apostles respond in verse 2. They say this. Um, so the 12 gathered all the, dis- all the disciples together, like the whole church together, disciples, all the uh, disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. You see the response is like, it seems like they had said, hey, it would be good for y'all to, to oversee this the daily distribution of food, and they said, man, that, that wouldn't be good for us. It wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be the best use of our time. Now, for those of you who are familiar with my wait, uh, waiter story, this is uh, one of my favorite verses in all Scripture. Just wouldn't it be right for me to, to not, you know, be, be all about the ministry of the Word instead of wait on tables. For those who don't know the story, I can't tell the whole thing because it takes too much time. But I did tell it a few months ago. But the short of it is there was a time where I was waiting on tables and I w- was carrying an entire tray of drinks uh, of, of margaritas and beer. And I managed to dump the entire tray on the people in front of me. 
It was terrible. And, it, and that would have been bad enough. But then I went back in, got a whole other tray, went to the other side of the table and dumped that whole tray on the other people on the same table. True story. And then I uh, walked out uh, by my manager and said, I'm going home. And then I did. I left. But they were outside on the patio. And so I had, my car was parked right next to them on the patio. And I had to get in the car and just drive off as they were really mad at me. And so it wouldn't be good for me to wait on tables ever. Uh, but the, <laughs> the disciples, I don't think that was their reason. The, the apostles, their reason for saying it wouldn't be good for them. They, they were saying... It wouldn't be good for me to wait on tables. It wouldn't be, good, wouldn't be best for us to wait on tables because there was a greater, more important thing in this case for them to give their attention to. Now, what was that? Well, as they said, it's the ministry of the word. And so you think, okay, what's the ministry of the word? And I think most of us would hear that and think, well, that must be teaching people. must be like, you know, preaching on Sundays or in the temple courts. Like that's what they say they need to do. They need to preach to the believers. And guys, let me just be clear. It includes that for sure, but it wasn't limited to that. That this phrase, the ministry of the word, meant more than just teaching believers. It meant being a witness of Jesus. It's Acts 1.8. It's just another way of saying, we gotta, we got to do the ministry of getting the word out about who Jesus is and what he's done. So that goes to believers, but it also goes to the rest of the city. And the reason that I know that, that it means more than just preaching, you know, like I'm doing right now, is because of the link that Luke draws out in verse 2 to verse 7. Did you notice that when I read it through the first time? You might have missed it, so let me show it right here. It says, it, you know, when they say, it would not be good for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God, and then in Acts 7, he, verse 7, he uses the same phrase. So the word of God spread, and what's the result of that? The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And so you see, the word of God is more than just preaching. It, it, it's, it's being a witness. It's getting the, the gospel out to people. And because the apostles decided that it would be best for them not to give their attention to the daily distribution of food, even though that's a really good thing, but instead to stay committed to, you know, this ministry of the Word of God, God blessed that, and the gospel spread, and more and more disciples were added to the church, okay? You following that? So here's the problem. The common problem is this, that, um, you know, when you first read through it, you think, okay, the problem has got to be that there are certain widows that are being overlooked in the distribution of food. And yeah, I mean, that's a big deal, certainly for those widows who weren't getting food. Like, that was a big, big deal. However, that was actually just a symptom of the bigger problem. And here's what the bigger problem was. The church was growing so rapidly that they were not able to care for the people within the church and... Well, or while also obeying Jesus' command to be his witnesses in the city. That's the big problem here. Now, it shows up by widows not being cared for. And, but the big problem is that the, the, the people are coming to the apostles saying, hey, you got you to gotta do something about this. And they run in, and it seems like for the very first time, smack into a very common problem in the church, and that is the apostles saying, hey, we can't make this happen, caring for a church, while we're also making this happen, the ministry of the word, spreading it in our cities, and more and more people come to know Jesus. We can't do both. 
We don't have the ability to care for the church and care for the spiritual needs in our city. What do we do? And guys, let me tell you, that is such a common problem in the church, especially if the church is committed to Jesus' mission of gospel saturation by reaching the city and seeing the gospel advance. What do you do? How do you care for one another and do that? Guys, that is, I, think, I always think about a quote by a pastor named Andy Stanley. He says, sometimes you got to know when, when you have got a problem that you need to solve and when you have a tension that you need to manage. And guys, this is a tension that you have to manage within the church. And it's difficult because they're both important, both good. I've been listening a lot of Brian Regan with my sons and he, he says, oh, both good, both favorites, both good. Anyways. It's funny if you know it. Um, caring for each other, caring for the needs of, uh, of the spiritual needs of the city. You got to do both. How do you do both? Guys, we feel that tension. Like uh, as a church, as a church that's committed to seeing the day when every man, woman, and child in our city has heard the gospel of someone who loves them, we're very committed to the mission of God. We're all about gospel saturation, and yet at the same time, man, we love each other. And we are very committed to helping each other uh, thrive and grow up to know Christ and, and uh, be encouraged in our faith and helped in meeting physical needs along with you know, emotional and all these other needs that we have as a church family. And like, I don't know about y'all, but like, I feel it in my MC and my huddles. I mean, it's so easy to get together with my community, my MC, and to find that the vast majority of what we talk about, if not all that we talk about together, is just how we care for one another. How are you doing? What's going on with you? It's so good. We pray for each other. It's so important. But such little part of our time is actually spent ever talking about the people that we're connected with who don't know Jesus. And guys, we got to keep our eyes on both things. We got to care for each other. We got to meet the spiritual needs of the city. How do you do both? Well, let's look at the uncommon solution that's laid out for us in this passage. Here's what happens. Verse 3. Brothers and sisters, they say, the apostles are speaking, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they choose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also the other guys whose names I can't say. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So guys, what's the solution? Well, the apostle said, hey, we can't do both. So why don't, you, why don't you, church, identify some people from within you that can do this? And then we'll pray over them and we'll let them do it. Which is a great answer, right? I mean, it's, that's basic delegation. And I think that most of us would say, yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea. But it doesn't sound like an uncommon solution, right? And I'm calling it an uncommon solution. So, yeah, what's, what's the uncommon part? Well, <laughs> here, here's the uncommon part. Put yourself in their shoes. Think context. For at first century Jerusalem, all these people, Hellenistic Jews, Hebraic Jews, all they knew was Judaism prior to the church. And in Judaism, friends, ministering on behalf of God to people was reserved for the priests, a specific group of people from a specific tribe that only certain people could do this. 
And, and on top of that, within Judaism, there was only one person, the high priest, who had full access to God and who could actually go before God in the Holy of Holies, the most sacred part of the temple that was separated from the rest of the temple and from everybody else by a giant veil or curtain that was symbolic to say that, man, that mankind and God have to be separated because God is holy and we are not, but only one. The high priest could enter that once a year on behalf of all the people have full access to God. And the high priest would minister to God or minister before God on behalf of the nation of Israel. They would serve God by serving God's people. That's what the high priest did. And guys, that was, again, reserved for one, once a year. And here's what you have happening in the first century church. You have a group of people who recognize, you know what? Because of what Christ has done for us, we actually all have access to God. And as a result, we can all come before God and serve God by serving his people. And so the apostles say, hey, you know what? Yeah, we're the leaders of the church, but you know what? We're not priests because we're we're actually all have access to God. So we're all priests and we can all serve God by serving one another. So here's an idea. Instead of just making the people who are in charge just be us, let's just recognize what Christ accomplished for us and say, anyone can do this. And because that was uncommon, that was a completely different paradigm. That was brand new. But it was brought about because of what Jesus did. The author of Hebrews says it this way, meditating on the, what's known as the priesthood of all believers. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says this, 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest, talking about Jesus, the new, great, perfect high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. Like, you hear that? We have full access to God. This is amazing. With a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with the pure water, all symbolic of saying what happens with the gospel. We're washed clean. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So you're following that? Many of us are familiar with verses 24 and 25. But what comes before that is this truth that Jesus is the high priest, that because Jesus died, because his blood was shed, he, through faith in him, his reconciling work on the cross has made it possible for us all to have access to God. And therefore, we can all go boldly before God and serve God by serving his people. And therefore, because of what Christ has done for us, we now should spur each other on to love and good deeds. We should encourage one another. We should not stop meeting together because there's an opportunity to point each other towards Jesus and serve one another. All because now Jesus is the high priest. We all get to be priests. The 
That's the uncommon solution. The apostles understanding what Christ accomplished on the cross. Say, you know what? There's no way we can manage the tension best all, all just if it all falls to us. How do we keep our eyes on the mission, the spiritual needs of our city, and care for one another, the church family? We can't do it if it just falls to the apostles. It's too much. And guys, we say, we can't do it if it just falls to the church staff or to the elders. It's too much. But we can do both and do both well, meeting each other's needs and meeting the spiritual needs of the city if we're church is full of priests who understand that we all have full access to God and we can all serve one another, serving God by serving one another. It's beautiful. And look what happens. Look what the result is. Go back to verse 7. So the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Notice what Luke draws out there when he says a large amount of priests came obedient to the faith. This is Luke's way of hammering this point home. He's saying the priests in Jerusalem saw what was happening in the church and saw that everybody was operating as if they had full access to God because they did because of Jesus. And everyone was serving one another because they could in God's name because of Jesus. And they're drawn in. They were attracted to this. And many priests believed because, man, Jesus had done something brand new. And now the church was loving each other in light of this and serving each other in light of this. Isn't that awesome? As, as a church committed to getting the gospel to every man, woman, and child, we're going to have to all be living out the fact that in Christ we're priests. And we're going to have to lean on each other to care for one another and to get the gospel to our city. I don't have time to get into it, but if you keep reading in Acts, and we'll pick up at it later in the spring, but Stephen and Philip, two of the first guys mentioned here, the very next stories are about them. And they're not, it's not a story about them caring for widows, so we know that they were doing that. The story is about them sharing the gospel boldly. Stephen gets martyred. Philip takes the gospel all the way into Samaria and then through his work to Ethiopia. Like there's all kinds of stuff where these guys are both caring and all seven, you could assume, and really the whole church, you can assume, are now working to do both things, meet each other's needs in the church and advance the gospel in the city and beyond. And guys, we got to be that. And here's the thing. We can be. It's a done deal. Because Jesus has lived, died, and risen again. And through his death and resurrection, your faith in him, you are a priest. So let's live it out. Let's meet each other's needs. And let's meet our city's spiritual needs. It begins with us taking advantage of the fact that we have full access to God. There's all kinds of needs within our church family. I see some that are being met Many that are being met. I see some that aren't being met. Chances are you see some that aren't being met. Here's the thing. Let's talk. We all can have an opportunity to see needs in our church body and meet those needs. Let's talk. Let's figure out how to best love each other. So we all got a role to play. This whole thought, it just puts away to consumer Christianity, right? Like I just show up on Sunday, feed me, and then I'm going to leave and do my own thing. No, no, no. We're all priests. Let's all play our part. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf. When we do, we'll love each other well. And we'll get the gospel to our city. It's pretty exciting. Let's finish by uh, focusing and fixing our eyes on uh, 
Jesus, the high priest. We're going to do that by taking communion together. And communion's open to everybody in our, that's here. Uh, you don't have to be a member of this church as long as you've, we ask that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. If you believe that Jesus is your Savior, communion table is open to you. If you don't believe that, you're not sure what you believe. This is a time for you to, to wrestle with that with God. Perhaps even now, you would choose to place your faith in Christ and his finished work for you on your behalf on the cross and through his resurrection. The rest of us, what I'd like us to do as we take communion is for us to uh, use this time, as I said, to fix our eyes on the high priest. Recognizing that through the, the curtain, as Hebrews 10 says, that is his body, and this curtain was broken for us, and through his blood... We can have confidence to enter the most holy place so we can have full access to God and serve God by serving people in this city in his name. As you take communion, remember his body broken, remember his blood spilled, that you have full access to him. Let me pray. Father God, we give you praise for Jesus and what he's accomplished May you help us recognize that this is true. This is what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, let us live in that reality. Let us actually take advantage of the fact, the incredible fact that we have full access to you, God. So we can go to, your, go to you and with boldness and we can hear from you in your word and not need someone else to mediate because we have the great mediator in Christ. And Lord, may that give us uh, just this reality of how incredible it is that we can come to you and know that we're accepted by you. And Lord, then let us come to you not just for, our, for us, but also on behalf of others. That we would serve you by serving others in this church and in this city. May what Christ, how Christ has served us as we remember that by taking communion now. May that compel us to live this out. We love you, God. We thank you for what you have done for us. May we honor you in light of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.